Hello, and welcome to Activating Sustainability, the Anthesis podcast. My name is Chris Pearson, and I'll be your host. Before I introduce my guest, I want to say on behalf of all Anthesians that we really hope you, your loved ones, and teams are all safe and keeping well. We're recording this in mid-April and know that some regions are starting to come out of this phase of the crisis, while others are right in the middle of it. Please know that we're thinking of you and are here as friends first and partners forever on our shared journey. I'm really pleased today to be joined by Philip Rosenthal. Philip is based in Germany and among his extensive experience in climate change policy, strategy, and integration, he has a really fascinating background that includes being a certified Lego Serious Play facilitator, a number of personal crises that he'll be able to provide some light on today, as well as being a finalist for the Global Nelson Mandela Walk Together Prize as a co-founder of Project 189. We really want to have Philip come on today to talk about crises in general, the parallels between COVID and climate change, and where we go from here as the sustainability community. So Philip, welcome to the podcast. Chris, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and we have spoken a few times before, but I'm really pleased to be here, and I would like to echo your outreach to our community of uh, clients, friends. Um, we all hope that you're doing well, and we will get through this together. Agreed. It feels like the world has changed so fundamentally since we spoke just a month ago. Very true. I guess that's probably the nature of these crises. If, if they happen on a global level, we will see a very different global society at the other end of the tunnel. The, the hope uh, for us as, as sustainability practitioners and, uh, and advocates is really that, that the world that we will be designing after COVID-19 will be much more sustainable one. Fingers crossed. It certainly has been a jarring experience for industry, for society as a whole, and for individuals within that. And I know I alluded to some of your kind of personal experience around crises, and we're going to use that as kind of an analogy throughout the podcast to think about how we can view COVID and what that might mean for us and how we start to get our heads around a path forward. Maybe, can you take us through some of those experiences? Yeah, I, I guess... I'm taking this COVID-19 global pandemic a lot lighter than I probably would have taken it if I would not have had the experience of the last 10 years and the experiences of several crises, more personal than, than global, I have to admit. But I think crisis management for as a person is, is really, as an individual, is really something, it's, it's like skiing down a, a black piste, a black um, slope. Um, and the first time you are really, really scared, really scared, and you're not going to do it gracefully. But after a few tries, I think you, you might even start to keep your head cool and um, pick up the pace and you might even find opportunities um, to do things a lot better during a crisis you will be a lot better when you get out of it. So right now, as a, as a person with my small family, uh, we are taking this not lightly. We are prepared, we are informed, but we are not frozen. No? We are not shutting us down as a small family. Well, I, I've been thinking a little bit about it, and I think the experiences of the last uh, seven years specifically really shaped me as a person and uh, shaped my family. So we spent a long time in the Middle East and 
We were based um, at first in Kuwait, which is a lovely country. I have many Kuwaiti friends and we had really exceptional experiences there. And one might say that it's culturally it's very different to, to where I come from in, in uh, rural Germany, uh, and that's true. But really the amplitude between very, very good and kind people and maybe people that are not so good, the amplitude is just so wide in places like this uh, because it's culturally so different. It's, uh, it's really breathtaking sometimes. My first crisis and the one that I really didn't manage so well, uh, so my first attempt at a, at a black slope, black pist, was when there was an attempted um, attack. I wouldn't say attempted murder, but uh, there was an attack on my wife and son while I was on business travel. Uh, the situation was that my wife had um, seen, uh, not a direct, but a, a somewhat distant neighbor uh, abusing his driver, his South Asian driver, uh, kicking him in the face and things like this. And she was so shocked that she wanted to record this on her smartphone to give it to the police. Now, this was one of the first times that she had a smartphone. She just had that one for a week or so, so she was not really able to do it quick enough. Until the gentleman who was abusing saw it and jumped into his car and pursued my wife, uh, crashed our car and rammed it repetitively. Now, yeah, it's, it's been terrible. And I, and I was in Amsterdam, no? <laughs> I wasn't there even. So that was a shocking experience. And I can remember that I, uh, it feels like somebody pulls the carpet under your feet and you can't breathe. Now, what we have done there I think really shaped us because we were told by the German expert community, ah, you know, in, in places like this, uh, you can't do anything about that, etc., etc. And we, we don't believe that. No, as I said, we have Kuwaiti friends, Kuwait has a parliamentarian monarchy. So there is, there are courts, there is laws. Um, this young gentleman um, clearly committed violations of the law. So we took it to here an embassy, to a to lawyer, then to court, and it took six years. It's been not a short journey, but uh, we won. And I think that shaped us in many, many ways. Another thing that it shaped was that we said, you know what, we need to start advocating for the rights of uh, domestic workers, like cleaners, household helpers, uh, drivers, uh, that come to these places from uh, much poorer countries in order to earn a living. And in many cases, in, in, in countries like this, their passport gets taken away and uh, they become so-called modern-day slaves. One country, without mentioning any country names, but one country has about 700,000 officially registered ones, which makes uh, a very large two-digit percentage of the total population. These are not small numbers, and we're talking about millions and millions in, in fees for the visas that have to be paid every two years. It's really breathtaking, the industry that has evolved around um, what is really human trafficking. Because in many cases, these uh, women are not getting paid, passport has been taken away. It just opened up a whole dimension for us that we had no clue about as Western experts. And there are those that look away and we said, no, we cannot really look away. We consider ourselves humbly, not most stupid people, 
So we said, okay, we need to put our minds to work and um, yeah, get something done. No? And that last led to the foundation of the organization called Project 189 that started advocating for um, the rights of domestic workers. And then later on, um, also, we supported uh, different embassies um, in um, yeah, helping people that have been, yeah, that have gotten stuck that their passports were taken away, they were shipped to the desert to care after some some camels in, in, in one case uh, even. And that has led to, um, for example, the nomination for the Nelson Mandela Walk Together Prize. And the organization has also been mentioned as one of 100 sparks of hope to the UN Generally, General Assembly. Now, yeah, it came really from a, from a moment of crisis. No? We saw that, hang on a second, this is like a parallel society and we can do something about it. So that's to say that there is good things in crises. You know, when you in, you're in this state of really focus, you're not even in flow, you're so focused you see things differently and you can find solutions that maybe if you're doing your normal work day in, day out, you wouldn't do. So I see the current COVID-19 crisis very similar. It's, it's a forced pause button hit for the global economy. And I think it's a great chance to redesign some of our global supply chain networks and make them more sustainable. Yeah, it's fascinating, right? And I, I mean, I'd love to unpack Project 189 further and understand some of that. But as you said, as we transition to kind of what does this mean for the sustainability community? And what does that look like? You talk about kind of skiing a black diamond, right? And I think lots of people have that sense of, as you said, the rug being pulled out from under them. How are you viewing this given that experience? And how do you translate kind of as quickly as possible and appropriately from crisis to action? Yeah, um, I think first of all, it's it's really, it's a mindset game. I, you probably, and our listeners probably have read this a million times now in the last four or six weeks, uh, but it's really true. My first crisis, the one with the car accident, I didn't manage it well. I was really shocked. And only because I had this this sense like, okay, this is not right and I will not let this happen to me. I'm not going to be the victim of this situation. Only because, and I have a very strong willed wife, uh, only because of that, the two of us were able to say, okay, listen, this will not define us. We will go into the offense. We will find ways of how we can turn this around. For COVID-19 and all our listeners, the businesses that are currently struggling, we hear you for sure. The important thing at this point of time is to get into a mindset that does not involve you seeing yourself or your business as a victim. It's important that you shift your mind to like a growth oriented, how can you manage this situation? How can you adapt to this situation? And uh, many restaurants here in Germany, for example, they're not allowed to host any people right now. Germany is not one of the countries where ordering is ordering and then delivery is, apart from the big cities, is a big thing. So restaurants really have to innovate. They have to find solutions of how they can 
still keep working to some extent and keep things afloat so that when the real hard crisis is over, they're still there, they're still in business. So there's a lot of ingenuity that is sparked by this crisis. I see that. Yeah, and just to pick that apart a little bit, because that was one thing when we were thinking about kind of the comparison between COVID and what does that mean for sustainability, innovation was one area that really struck me, right? Is that to address these global environmental social challenges, we really do need to come up with new solutions, new innovative approaches. And it's interesting to see that comparison. It is. I mean, if you if you see, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate um, to be in Germany right now. I think the government is doing a very good job here. I'm very happy um, that we have the chancellor that we have because she's the way she addresses the, the public is um, is very good. She is aware that in this situation, you need to have a lot of empathy because you can have, for example, people like us, we are still in business. We're looking for opportunities. We are, uh, we are moving, but then you have also other people that are really in shock. They are scared and she's able to strike the balance between speaking to them and encouraging them, but also to probably keep people like me uh, and put a little bit on the break and saying, okay, we need to wait a little longer. So she's really, really good at that. And I think it comes a lot from the empathy of it. With a sense of climate change and the change that what world will we see after COVID-19 once this uh, crisis is over? I read an interesting guest article by um, Franz Timmermans, uh, who's an executive VP at the European Commission, and Bertrand Picard. He's the founder of Solar Impulse Foundation. Actually, Bertrand Picard is, a, is somewhat of a personal hero of mine. Like, he's the one that took the uh, solar impulse solar plane around the globe. They had a guest article in the, in one of the German magazines, and they really advocate for the European Green Deal. And they have stable networks for renewable energies, electrification of transport and mobility, higher energy efficiency standards for tools and gadgets in our households, um, support farmers in the transition to organic production. So really, like they presented it once again to the to the public, because what I'm seeing right now is that Germany has prepared since the financial crisis for the next crisis. And right now we are getting out of this crisis as matters stand, mid of April, it looks like we're getting out of it quite well. That's how it looks like right now. But the money that is spent on keeping the, let's say the industry afloat, the businesses afloat, is a fraction of what is needed to completely change our energy system. So it's, the money is there. I think the money is not the problem. We have to take a very conscious decision that we do not want business as usual. We do not want to go back business as usual pre-COVID-19. No, we want, because we have all the technologies to, to fulfill the Green Deal already now, and many, many levels. No, it was difficult to get the financing sometimes done, especially on the local level. If you speak in Germany, sometimes it's not always easy. But now I think people see and feel how it is when you cannot leave the house because of a threat that is posed by nature. I think that change in perception makes the climate crisis a lot more real, I hope, for many people. And I hope that this is giving the push that we can go ahead with the European Green Deal 
We can have similar initiatives around the globe. We can commit to the Paris agreements, everyone, um, all countries, and we can make we can catch up basically because we were falling a little bit behind and and we have to flatten that curve. This is something I've struggled with, right? Is that when we look at COVID, there certainly seems to be that kind of reaction and dichotomy between it being a universal experience around the world and a very, very individual experience, right? We see countries putting up boundaries, reinforcing their borders, you know, being very insular around their responses to it, et cetera. And yet the only way we're going to get out of this is by working together and figuring out a path forward. And so I've been struggling with what does that really mean from a climate change perspective? And I think your experience is a really kind of telling analogy, right? That it almost feels like you get punched in the mouth and all the plans are out of the window and you're just trying to kind of panic and respond to that. But to your point, if you can take that step back to shift your mindset to what is the opportunity? What does this look like going forward? They, you can start to take a more purposeful stance, right? Not from a position of fear, but of a, of a real plan and benefit and build it better, if you will, the hashtag that's flying around or some of those additional pieces. But be curious to hear from you in terms of, as you think about that flow. So I know for startups, we always talk about how startups will grow exponentially very quickly, and then there will be a dip. And lots of organizations aren't ready for that dip. And just be curious to hear about, from your personal experience, how do you see this progressing? And what are those key opportunities for the sustainability community as a whole, as well as kind of individuals within it? Yeah, let me let me take this in, in parts. So first of all, in order to get through the next weeks, I think, uh, and if we look at it from a business perspective, so first, if you're talking, if you're taking it from an individual standpoint, it really counts what we had mentioned before. No, it's the mindset thing. Uh, try to use the time that you have now extra to upskill yourself, to uh, meditate, to do some, maybe some, to do some yoga, no? whatever makes you feel good, but remaining safe during this time and really making sure that your respective governments, that you keep with all that regulations. Now, if you're a leader, so if you have people in charge, I think really there are these lessons that can be drawn from some of the female leaders um, of governments these days. I think Quite a few of them are doing a, a remarkable job at communicating. I think Miss Merkel, for example, but also some of the other leaders, uh, they really, really are doing a great job at uh, communicating. And as a result, their countries and their communities are getting through this slightly better than, than maybe some others. I think empathy has to do with it. So as a leader, you need to really have this empathy for the people that are in your care to make sure that, that you address the right messages to those that might be freaking out a little bit, as well as those that want to pivot. No, they want to, they want to go to the next thing. They want to uh, use this opportunity to innovate. So cater to them the right messages in groups. Now, this is from an individual as well as from a leading perspective. Now, from a business perspective, it is really important to see what kind of opportunities you have. If you take a thesis, for example, no, we have, in the German example, we have started to expand our portfolio here to, to a lot more sustainability offerings. 
beginning of this year, really. I started uh, end of last year. And now comes this crisis. So we are, because we were very close, we are very close with our clients uh, in Germany in general, historically speaking as well, same as in other countries. It's one of the thesis trademarks. Uh, we were able to transmit the trust also to our clients that uh, many of the service offerings we can do online because they are having the same struggle in Germany that, uh, okay, the first two weeks maybe are fun, but then, okay, what, what kind of work do you give your, your staff? Um, like, what, what are they doing at home all this time? So if you can help them uh, navigate through this crisis and by us innovating our service portfolio and making it available digital online, uh, on demand, this really has helped us here to stay relevant with the clients, to uh, be not the project that gets uh, kicked off the, uh, off the board. Uh, because of this crisis so this is really from from the thesis perspective and if i would draw some lessons there it's um, really taking that step back and assessing the situation and looking at what opportunities you have to still stay relevant to your clients to still stay in production maybe just a couple pieces to pick up there like one is i love the story about the project that is now being run out of Asia, where we have kind of our teammates in Asia going around with video cameras and video chatting with our energy auditors in the UK to do on-site energy audits, right? And to your point, it's that kind of innovative piece around it. The other piece that I would just pick up there is around purpose and how that fits in, right? And it's really struck me when we see organizations that are innovating, but not, not innovating for profit, but innovating for humanity, right? So Estee Lauder, one of our clients has shifted their manufacturing plant in New York to hand sanitizer. And we see that across the board, Bauer face masks, making medical face shields, as opposed to hockey face shields. And it's that type of kind of response to this that we're seeing. And I know our CEO, Stuart McLaughlin mentioned that years to come, people will ask, what did they do in the crisis? Whether that's the COVID crisis, or the climate change crisis. And that really kind of struck me as well. But maybe just, you know, interesting to hear you speak to purpose and where you see that going, as well as the language and how this gets communicated out to groups. No, I fully agree with Stuart on this. I think it's times like this that are really defining not every individual as a person, but also businesses, no? Like, same as probably everyone listening can remember what they did on 9-11 when the first news hit in a few years time we will remember this time and what we did during this time during the COVID-19 pandemic it will be really a global memory and for businesses this is the time to show that there are that there's a social contract that the people that work for them they're under their care no? they are uh, they're responsible for them and more than that, if we want to speak about sustainability, this is the time where you can put action behind um, your sustainability strategy. If you say that you are there for your communities, now is the time to show it. And many businesses around the world um, are doing it. They, are, they have shifted their productions. They are producing uh, medical equipment. They are producing uh, alcohol for disinfectants. And that's really encouraging. We see it on the small level when we are 
home with our families, we spend a lot more time. I spend a lot more time with my kids and I, and I really enjoy it. And it makes you evaluate what is most important. And I think in our communities and also in the business community, we are going to see something very similar that there's a re-evaluation of what is really important. And in my view, it's the people. Uh, sustainability has always been about people. We want to save the planet because we want to you know, we want to save ourselves. So sustainability is people's business. It's people-centric. Not about consumption, it's about our health, it's about our happiness. And I think this crisis there is is a great opportunity to, as I said, reevaluate the entire situation and hopefully come up with that conclusion. Yeah, and it, I mean, fascinating to think about how, I, I think I've said this before, but I read somewhere that somebody said the line between the unfathomable and reality is being blurred on a daily basis, right? The idea that we've shut businesses down that we would shut society down, that Times Square would be empty. Um, you know, we're all just unbelievable activities. And it'd be interesting to see how we can kind of leverage the blank slate, if you will, and a new paradigm to figure out how we go forward. So I know that we're coming up on time, but as you think about the path forward, you've hit on a few key things in terms of mindset, having that growth mentality and looking for innovation all being really anchored around empathy and being central around people. I know our conversations in the past were really anchored around language. I'm just curious, you have some key points of, of advice, guidance, et cetera, for listeners in terms of where we go here as the sustainability community and as individuals within it. Well, right now, from a, from a language perspective, it's really um like you have to really recognize that uh, a lot of the people that you are in touch with they might be on edge. So this is the time to be probably a little bit more understanding than we might usually be. This is the time where we probably have to choose our words a little bit more carefully because we only have what is transmitted digitally uh, via our uh, online conversations. We do not have the other soft factors like uh, our gestures and uh, maybe even the tone of voice and our, um, our body language is, is, is not really transmitted. So there's a big chance of being misunderstood. So I think it's, especially as men, probably we have to be um, a lot stronger in communicating properly what we mean. There are tools available and this, this is our conversation that we had before and uh, that can be used. But I think for this time, really, if I would give anyone a piece of advice from personal experience at this point, I think probably communicating extra carefully is the most important thing right now. Whether it's whether you are a leader and uh, you have people in your care or you have a business to take care of with employees or uh, you have some tough decisions to make, communicating empathetically and communicating properly is probably one thing I would recommend to everyone at this point of time. And then of course have this growth mindset try to see the the end of, of this whole thing because if there's one thing that I've learned from from my personal crises is that they are really this crisis is a really discrete time span some take a little longer some take they are a little bit shorter but in generally they they do not last it's important that you get into this space of flow where you take the situation really serious 
to be safe and focused, but not too serious as to so as you start to freeze, no, you're not moving anymore. And then really to try to see the positive side and try to give yourself also positive messages uh, to yourself. And I think then I hope, and I think hope is the last uh, little thing, hope is a good thing. We should hope and work towards hope that uh, this all will be resolved in a few months time, globally around the world, that we will have this as a landmark event that really brought the global community closer together and hopefully will show ex an example of how we can in a very short time turn around things so quickly. And that will be a great lesson learned for fighting climate change. Fingers crossed. So Philip, thank you very much. Really appreciate all of the insight, sharing of your personal experience. This is clearly a challenging time for lots of people and appreciate the message of hope as a path forward. I've always thought of sustainability as being a really hopeful thing anchored in pragmatism and appreciate that connection between the two that you've provided. So Philip, thank you very much for joining. Chris, anytime. Thank you. thank you all very much for listening. Really appreciate it. Philip can be reached at philip.rosenthal. That's P-H-I-L-I-P-P dot R-O-S-E-N-T-H-A-L at anthesisgroup.com. And please be sure to visit our website for info on our response, including updates from our CEO, Stuart McLaughlin. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and keep well.